Welcome to Green Eggs and West Ham. I'm Chris S. along with my co-host Chris W. This podcast is dedicated to providing lighthearted, concise analysis on everything concerning West Ham. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Green Eggs and West Ham. I know we've taken a couple week break, but but we're back here to talk West Ham and we're going to cover the the four games we've played so far, the two league games and the two cup games, kind of what what changed from from game to game. Uh we're going to we're going to kind of give a rundown of the current events of the club as well, different transfer targets and and potential scenarios as as the transfer window comes to an end. Also kind of talk about the the recent Talksport interview with David Sullivan and and kind of what he said and what that means for the club and then we'll finish it off with a with a preview to the game this Sunday against Wolves so Chris we've had two league games so far we haven't taken any points from them do you think both performances were the same or or what did you what did you think was different between the two yeah well that's a good question starting off the season we had Newcastle and we did lose uh lose to Newcastle 2-0 but when you go into a season as a fan you want to see you know, potential. You want to see the um, excitement around the team. Even if you lose the first game, you still want to see something, some glimmer of hope. And we really didn't see that against Newcastle. We saw a team that, in my opinion, lacked creativity. We got three chances, three, excuse me, shots on target and couldn't do anything with them. Suchek did have one really good uh, chance that bounced off the post, but it just really lacked that kind of fire and, and energy. Whereas when we compare that to the Arsenal game, we were there. We were in it the whole game. I was hopeful for a goal up until the 90th minute. In Newcastle, you know, you could have probably said at halftime we were going to lose. So Moyes came out with a different formation. I was glad he changed things. I was glad he saw that the Newcastle performance was not good and that he um, made some, I don't know if they would necessarily the proper changes, but at least there were changes. At least he was trying something different. What, what do you think? Yeah, I thought we really came out pretty toothless in the Newcastle game. We were not clinical. We actually, the stats bear out, we, we had more shots on target, um, but I didn't, didn't really feel like it. We hit, we hit the post a lot. We uh, weren't clinical. We didn't seem like we were up for the match. Uh, I think we were slightly unlucky with some of the decisions. I think the, the Andy Carroll elbow. Oh, that was ridiculous. It, it, it pretty much should have been a red card, but he also does that just about every week. I mean, we saw that when he played for us, that it was one of the things we, we loved about him when he played for us, but you hate about it when, a, when an opponent does it. I mean, not, not, not that we're, we love that he would, you know, potentially injure someone just that, but that he would go for the ball. So, so recklessly. Um, so we were a little unlucky there. I thought I was disappointed in the lineup Moyes had in the Newcastle game, especially coming off of when we had that, that split squad, uh, two friendlies on the same day, and Hilaire scored that hat trick. And you just thought, okay, now we're getting our record signing firing. Mate, let's, you know, let's carry this into the season. And then Moyes comes and plays the exact same lineup that he ended the season with. And, yeah, that lineup kept us up, but it didn't keep us up because we were really winning games. I think we won three of our last ten games. It wasn't you know, we had the really great performance against Chelsea and against Norwich, but outside of that, it was, it was really more the fault of the teams around us not performing that we stayed up. So I don't, 
he, he didn't start the hot players in Hilaire and even Yarmolenko had played well in preseason and and it just we didn't seem to have a plan even in game he didn't start subbing people on until well into the 80th minute which is no change of plans no you know no game management and then we see in the Arsenal game it seems like it was such a big difference but but in reality all he changed was one person and that was taking off Noble putting on Masuaku now the the formation changed I'll you know I'll give you that but it, we did look a very different team. And I thought it was it was actually pretty impressive that, that, that players like Fredericks and Masuaku, who Fredericks had played a lot, but obviously we'd been relatively frustrated with his play. And then Masuaku, who never seems to get a chance, actually played really well. And I thought, I thought players like even Cresswell, who's been performing poorly before that, really was a little more solid where when he wasn't having to cover the the extreme wide of the pitch at fullback. Yeah, one player that I'm actually really concerned about, Chris, is Diop. I have seen two pretty horrible performances, I think. In my opinion, he was he was the he was responsible excuse me for both goals um in the Arsenal game and then for Newcastle he well, I can't say he was directly responsible for each goal. His coverage was not good. What do you make of that? He, he looks like he's not playing with any confidence. I don't know. I mean, he's a, he's young still. He is, we, we got to remember, he is 22, 23. And, and that's very young for, for any player, especially a center back. But, but he just doesn't look like he's playing with the confidence that he used to play with. I don't know why that is. You know, he's, he's been matched up with Agbana for a, a long time now. So you can't really put it down to, to chemistry issues. They, they've had time to play together. Well, but so he, one one point I want to make focused, and he doesn't seem like he trusts himself to make a tackle. Uh, yeah, I agree. And he so he's twenty three, and uh, you've got look at players like um, Mbappe or like Christian Pulisic. They're nineteen, eighteen in some cases. Like these are players that you basically proving that you can be good and up to that level yeah. at a young age now they're different they're different players well they're but... different positions and i don't think you can you can you can't credibly compare any west ham player to a player like mbappe just no. i mean like you can't expect that what i'm trying to yeah it's possible but you can't expect that yeah you can't but the whole point is west ham is a professional soccer league or a professional soccer team so it doesn't matter if he hasn't bloomed yet or not I'm great to play him, but then he needs to either go play in the academy or he needs to be loaned out or something. But when you show up to West Ham to play in the top league, there's very little room to grow. I'm fine if you want to play like a Ben Johnson or an Ngakia where, yeah, they just need a little bit more game experience. But but in my opinion, Diop's had that by now. I I don't think it's even he needs to grow as much as he needs to regain what he had. The first season and a half he played for us, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was perhaps our best center back. It was just he doesn't seem to have the same mentality that he did then. He he's right. he was he he was always a player that would maybe be a little too ambitious and sometimes get out of position, but now he just looks like he doesn't want to tackle a per- and you know, doesn't want to make a tackle and he'll let someone dribble right up into the penalty area. And I I mean that's well here's the big problem though is 
eight. Every player, maybe they need a, a game off or two, regain that confidence. It looks like Hilaire, you know, he he sat on the bench a lot uh, last year compared to what he probably should have been. But but now it looks like he's regained that confidence. So maybe Diop needs a few games off. But who do you put in his place? Like, we've got Balbuena. Do, would, would you play Balbuena or how? how... Well, I, I would have said I would have played Balbuena, but... The last two the, the last two appearances he made in the cup game, I was not overly impressed with him. I know we didn't give up, you know, I think we only gave up one goal between the two games, but mm-hmm. it wasn't because of his solidity. I mean, right. I honestly, if if you made me start a center back that wasn't Diop, I might even give Elise a try. I don't know if it's Elise or Alese, um, but the but the the kid that that started alongside Balbuena in the whole game, he looked a stud. I mean, he's he's big, he's strong, he's for a center back, for pacey enough. I mean, he's he's not a burner, but he he, he seemed uh, able to chase down a player. Had good distribution from the back. I think that's one thing that Diop sometimes Diop can make a really good pass, but sometimes he's just careless with it. Um, where Elise looked really solid. I know it's against a lower league opposition, but. Well, so I, what about what about Jamal Baptiste? Do you know anything about him? Because he he played yeah, before, I, and Baptiste, people really he, liked him. He he did play in the friendly. I think he's only sixteen still. It's a little young for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd I'd give him a cup run for sure, but I'm worried. A sixteen-year-old can go out there and score goals. A sixteen-year-old can you know can play around the midfield fairly well. I don't know if a 16-year-old's frame is meant to stand up to pre- to Premier League forwards. Yeah. I, I don't that's I don't know and, and that's not any 16-year-old. I don't, you know, you're not mm-hmm. if let's say we'd started him against the in the Newcastle game. You think he could have matched up against Andy Carroll whatsoever? Like it, right. or you know, let's say we play Chelsea and they have or Giroud comes on and, and there there's too many strong physical players that I don't really want to have a 16 year old matched up against Raul Jimenez in this, in this mm-hmm. Wolves game is an example of, of a, a fairly large number nine, but I, I would, I think he's one for the future for sure. But yeah, I, we, it, it shows that we have a lack of options right now. And I will yeah. talk about this a little more in the next section when we, we talk what positions we think we need and who we've been linked to, but I'd give Elise a chance. If, if I do think, it might be good for Diop to sit a couple games. There's, you need, I believe, to perform at your best. If if you're, if you're not a player, you know, like you know, you're going to start every week because you're just great. You need to have that competition to motivate you to become great. And I don't think Diop has that right now. I don't think there's, he's not really worried about Balbuena taking his spot. I think we, you know, you need to kind of instill, hey, this is not just a job. You gotta, you gotta work towards it. I'll tell you what, though, that what you just talked about is pretty much the whole reason I want Noble on the team and I want him participating in the practices and, and everything is because Noble is that kind of leader that I believe could instill that confidence back in Diop and really work with him or something like that. Like I heard a report a few weeks ago about Rice. <clears throat> Rice was staying after practice for an hour or two every single day just to get more touches on the ball, more shots on target. He, it was really the shots outside of the box that, that he was doing. 
and then in the the last uh, part of the season, you saw that you know he was he was starting to take some great shots, and um, he even scored one. So, anyways, with that said, I I think Noble and Rice are the leaders that um, that can bring Diop's confidence back. And so, I don't think though. Let's talk about Noble for a second. I don't think Noble needs to start. I'm if he starts, you're taking another player basically off. You're losing some player. And that's a Hilaire that possibly is a Fornals. Um, that's, you know, someone that I think could be key. And right now Hilaire's on, uh, on form yeah. in the cup, at least in some of these uh, friendlies. So there's just not, I agree with you. Noble's leadership qualities are really what makes him the contributor that he's been to West Ham. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's been a solid player for a long time, but what really has endeared him to the West Ham fans is his mentality and, uh, and him being a club captain for so long, but the where there's no where where he currently is now. I don't feel like there's anywhere you can start Noble. He if you think of a midfield two, he doesn't have the legs to run around in a midfield two. You're going to choose Suchik and Rice over him every time. If you go to a midfield three, Suchek and Suchik and Rice are better defensively than him. Mm-hmm. So they're they're in the back. So that means you're putting Noble in the number ten role. Well, Noble doesn't have the creativity of passing, nor the real goal threat that a player like maybe Lanzini or Yarmolinko or Fornals or any player that you could play that number ten role would have. So there's just well, nowhere I'd I'd put them in. Let me, let me ask you about that. Some people have said Noble needs to play that number ten role, but. I just don't see, and it's, it's probably a rhetorical question, but how can you tell me that Noble is more creative than Fornals and even Lanzini when he's in form? There's times where Lanzini has been awful, but right now it looks like he's, you know, at least in some of these friendlies, he's been good. So, so, you know, basically, can you, you, I don't think you can make a case that Lanzini and Fornals are less creative than a number 10 Noble. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you can. And I, just the problem with him playing such a, when we when we see him play this number ten, it's really strange because sometimes he's really far ahead pressing, and that means when he, he's not gonna tra- he's not gonna run down a guy and win the ball. He's not fast enough for that. So when the ball gets past him, he's out of the play for 10, 15 seconds when he's coming back. Like the play, the the possession moves past him and he's at, and he's not contributing at that point. Um, and so I don't think that's the place you should play him. But then also sometimes when we're attacking, he ends up dropping between the center backs and like, that's not really a great spot for him either. Like that's, he's not doing much there. Right. Or he's not, at least not offering anything that another player doesn't offer there. Uh, so I, I would say the, the place for me for Noble is on the bench, involved with the squad, a leadership, a leader throughout the week and a leader on game day, just not on, not always on the field. I, I think there's a place for him to be subbed on in a lot of games, but but not starting for me, especially when, you know, not starting him means you can play a five back or it means you can do a two striker uh, formation and put Hilaire in there. there. There's too many good good players that can change a game that that I don't think Noble would start. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so speaking of starting players, what did you think of the formations and who we brought out to start each game between Newcastle and Arsenal. Yeah, I I, I already talked about it. I wasn't happy that we just copied the, the same formation that we ended last year with. 
it, it didn't show ambition to me. It, it really was, we had all this time to, to instill a system in our team and we were playing, we come out and play three players out of position, you know, in Antonio as a striker. Now you can maybe say he is a striker, but then Fornals on the wing, he's not a winger. And Noble is a number 10, he's not a number 10. Where you could have fixed all of those by, by simply putting Hilaire at striker, Antonio on the left, and Fernals at attacking mid. And now all three players are playing in position. It, it just it doesn't make sense to me. And then the five back, I was a little skeptical about. I, I've I don't think we really have the center backs to play a five back. And you know, Cresswell Cresswell surprised me with his play. He played better than I thought. Diop was not good. Um, but it really Fredericks and Masuaku looked real threats, and it looked it it was a lot better defensively than we had been, and it really didn't uh, take away from our creativity. I thought Masuaku and Fredericks offered a lot going forward. However, I'm really annoyed that we're still playing Fornals at a more wide position. I don't think I think he's wasted there. Similarly to how I think Noble is wasted at the number 10. And I still don't, I can't fathom. So if you look at the last three games started by Hilaire, he scored seven goals. Why are we not playing him? Right. He scored two goals in each of the two cup games. And he scored three goals in the game against uh, Ipswich. Why is he not playing that's a good point. So you look at all these goals that he's scoring in these friendly games, and yeah, they're not Premier League teams. They're not. But what can Hilaire do he can from only his score point of view? Against the, he, can, he can only score against the team he's playing. He can yeah. only score against the team he's playing. And I don't know if it's training. Maybe training's the reason. I don't think it is. But maybe training's the reason that uh, Moyes is choosing to not put Hilaire in. But, uh, I mean, when Hilaire is coming in, you know, not even Hilaire coming in. I don't, it can't be training. He has too much skill to be a dud in training. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a decent point. But another thing, too, is, yeah, Hilaire technically played against Arsenal, but he was subbed on in the 88th minute. And then Anderson in the 89th, excuse me, in the 90th minute. You know, so, I have – this is a very uh, – we, we can talk about Moise's substitutions. I think we're both on the same page on that, that it's horrendous in-game management, not subbing, not changing anything until that late. Mm-hmm. Uh, not giving the substitutes. I mean, yeah, you said, it, but I'm a little cynical, and I don't know. I don't. I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm saying this. What if this is the case? Now, this pressure could either be coming from Moyes or from like a David Sullivan type. What if Hilaire is being intentionally put on the field, but that late where you know he's not going to have a goal? So when you look at the stats, it shows Hilaire, you know, 10 games played, zero goals, even though he played a total of, you know, 30 minutes in those 10 games. So that could, from both perspectives, it justifies Moyes in not starting him because he's not scoring goals, even though he's given no chances. And it justifies David Sullivan in the fact of, look, look, Pellegrini signed us all these duds. That's where why we're at, where we are now. And I don't, I'm, Maybe this is a little reckless by me, but I'm just wondering. I don't see any other reason why Hilaire's yeah. not playing. Like, yeah. I, and 
I don't. The thing is, if it, if it was like a payette or somewhere where they were either trying to force a move or they were just really the fans hated him. But Hilaire is not necessarily hated. Like some people don't think that he's the best forty-five million dollar or excuse me, million pound signing. But I don't. I think the fans want Hilaire to do well, right? So I don't see. I don't see him being so hated that that's it. Yeah, and well, it's, it's not the fans. So enough fans want him. Now, there's some fans that don't rate him, and I understand that. He hasn't mm-hmm. produced to the level that you've expected. But he was still our second leading goal scorer last year, playing like 20 appearances or so. And if you take out the one game that Antonio went off, he beat Antonio for goals. And so you can't – he hasn't been a success, but he also – I mean, he hasn't – relative to how badly our team did last year, he he wasn't terrible. I mean, he was average for what our team was. So I, I just – I still think the best best usage is to put him at striker and have players like Antonio Bowen and Yarmolenko, players that can offer goal threats but can also offer – delivery threats around him and that I, th- I think that's not only going to be beneficial for him but it's going to be beneficial for the other players I mean you saw how Yarmolenko and Hilaire I know you weren't able to watch the game but uh, I watched a good portion of the the cup game against Hull he and Yarmolenko looked like they've been playing together for years they combined for four goals Yarmolenko had two goals and two assists like it, it when you when you put in a position players where they need to play, you're gonna get results. And that's it's shocking to me that, that Moyes as a professional manager doesn't seem to get that. Yeah. Well, so here just last thing, let's look at some stats. So West Ham uh, in, uh, in the Newcastle game had fifty eight percent possession, Newcastle had forty two percent. West Ham had a hundred more touches and a hundred more passes than Newcastle. And yet in the Arsenal game, we had 40% possession, 38 actually. Um, we had literally 300 less passes, and we had 300 less touches. But, didn't but we, arguably, we were a different team in the Arsenal game. But if you look the at better. the shots and the shots on target, I th- I'm pretty sure we either matched or outpaced Arsenal. Yep, we were. It was three on three. Yep. Yeah, and I and. We, and we had we 14 to, shots and they had seven. We don't have to spend a ton of time talking about it because I know a lot of people have talked about it in West Ham, but I th- I think we were in both games very unfortunate with certain decisions. That, you know, we talked about the, mm-hmm. the Carroll elbow in Newcastle, but the just blatant handball at Arsenal mm-hmm. that was not called, even though I, you know, don't understand how you don't call that a handball. But, uh, yeah, I think the possession – and Moyes likes playing without the ball. He likes yeah. to play a, a more sit-back and counterattack. And I think we have we – do, we don't have a ton of pace as a team, but there's certain players we have, especially when we're playing that five-back with Fredericks and Masuaku, where they can both be released to the attack. You have that counterattacking threat. Yeah, so, you do. I think it's interesting that we had less possession in the Arsenal game. And I mean, I read you the stats. We had less touches by a lot, less passes by a lot, but we were, 
we looked drastically better than when we did have all those things. So that just fits more into Moise's, uh, you know, I don't know, strategy, I guess, of, hey, let's play a little bit. Let's sit back a little bit. We don't need we don't need 60% possession. We need about 40% possession well, and, and I, I, we can get good, good chances. Yeah. And I think, I don't think it's just necessarily better to have less possession. I think it's the way we, we use, right. we didn't, right. we didn't really give Arsenal that many opportunities, even though they had that possession, it wasn't really in our final third around the box. Like if, you know, if we were to playing a, a team like Man City, for example, we're going to we're going to give up massive possession to them but typically when we play man city they're they get really good touches around the box and it's not it's not a good form of sitting back for us but then the way we played against arsenal we they had the ball but we didn't allow them to get in that many menacing positions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i th- i think they're they're that's the way Moyes wants to play and it when we execute it well it can be very good even against higher higher table teams but yeah so that that pretty much covers our talk of, of the last four games next session we're going to talk about just recent events of the club kind of a, a smorgasbord of some of maybe the transfers we've been linked to the uh i guess only west ham type stories that have happened this past week with with interviews and and different rumors and then also kind of uh, kind of look at statistically uh, a look back into some of the claims that that David Sullivan said and and kind of just give you some give you some statistics to highlight maybe maybe what he, what he said and and ma- have you make your own decisions so that's coming up next segment Welcome back to the second section of Green Eggs and West Ham. In this section, we're going to cover some quotes that David Sullivan has made in some recent, actually this uh, past week, interviews about the club, about our transfers, and uh, really just trying to defend his position. Uh, we're going to kind of analyze each of those him, quotes. Him trying to, 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 I should say him yeah. trying to defend. You're right. Um, analyze each of those quotes, go through uh, some statistics and, and kind of have a general discussion on those. And throughout uh, the section, we're going to be touching on some of the transfer news, even though there's not uh, too much to touch on. And then, uh, yeah, there's, I think it's going to be a pretty fun discussion. So Chris, why don't you kick us off with some of these uh, golden quotes? Yeah. So perhaps the, the catalyst you know, the, the, the breaking point for a lot of this GSB out uh, recently has been the, the Dean Ghana sale. I mean, that's obviously not what started it, but it's, it's kind of was the breaking point for a lot of fans. So in relation to this, this is the quote from David Moyes. It was a decision made because we have eight wingers. Agents offer me players all the time. And if they're wingers, I tell them, look, we've got too many wingers. So, you know, we, we kind of th- we think about it. How many wingers do we have? 
real quick, I mean, you said David Moyes, that was David Sullivan. Correct? David Sullivan, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, David okay. Sullivan yeah. said that. Um, yeah. how, so, how many wingers? Good question. So, um, so we thought we, we didn't prepare for this before, but we said, let's, let's go through and try and name these eight wingers and then actually name what our list of wingers would be. So, Chris, let's start us off. Who, yeah. who first one that comes to your mind? All right, so uh, probably Anderson and Lanzini. They've played out there a lot. They could play in the number 10 role, but I'd, I'd list them. Uh, the other one, Antonio. Antonio is a winger, and he could play striker too. Oh. But uh, one that I'm kind of – I'm going back and forth for now. It's like, do you – I don't consider him a winger. Oh. So we, we play him out through, there. Let's, let's go through let's, – we're at this point, let's go through the David Sullivan view. Who would he name? Okay, so he would so, probably say Fernals because he has to. Bowen, obviously. Bowen, yeah, for sure. Yarmolenko. Yep. He'd say Snodgrass. In fact, Snodgrass was one he'd mentioned in. Um, who else? Who else do we have? I'm trying to think if we have any younger players. Uh, let's see. You can't I, really. I'm, I'm really coming up. Maybe he's talking about Masuaku here, but I. I, he... I was thinking that too. But Fredericks and Masuaku are kind of the same player in the back. But let, but let's count Masuaku just because. Well, well, We'll count Masuaku, but I, he's never been played as a winger, really. So I don't know right. if he'd – I mean, I think he's more of a winger than a pure fullback. But So that's, that's who we have. So we have currently – we have our eight. I, I don't think we're missing anybody. Uh, if we are, I you – know, No, I don't think so either. I tried to even look it. through the younger players. So, so going through that eight, let's go through in the order we – Anderson, is he a winger? I'd say, yeah, he's a winger. He, he sure. primarily plays winger. Yeah. But he, I mean, I, I like him in the, in the center as well. Lanzini, yeah. I don't think Lanzini's really a winger. He can play winger, but he's a number 10. He's a central midfielder for me. I, see, I think he's a number 10, but I also see that uh, I would actually, I'd count him as a winger just because he's played out there so much. Fornals is one that for sure to me is not because he is played out of position every single week, but I have seen Lanzini do okay out there. So, okay. So you're going to give it, you're going to give it a yes. I'm going to give it a no. Right. Um, uh, Antonio, I think we can both agree. He, he's, we can call him a winger, but I'll, I'll talk about him on the back kind of the, when we come back through, uh, I, that would maybe why we shouldn't be counting him as one. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think I'm going to count him as a striker. I, yeah. So but, you're, but, yeah, that's what I'm. I, okay, so we'll both we'll both give him. The thing is, if you're counting Lanzini as a winger, then you have to count Antonio as a striker because we're being liberal there. So we have to be. Where are they playing most, right? And yeah. Antonio's playing most at striker. Bowen's obviously a winger. Bowen's obviously and a winger. Yeah. Yarmolenko, I'd say he's definitely a winger, but we'll, you know, we'll talk about next session. Maybe maybe we he should play in a different position. Yeah, I, I think you have to count him. Uh, he comes on for Bowen a lot and is is a winger in my opinion. Snodgrass, I you know we bought Snodgrass as a winger. He he hasn't played as a winger for us in almost a year. He's been playing as a central <laughs> midfielder. I don't think, especially with as how slow he is. I think he. I mean, I think he offers something in the midfield, but I don't think he's a winger. Well, point. that's a good good point. Is what point in history do you? Uh, clarify you know is yeah, it this past like, like you said today. yeah yeah well, he, so he literally had a quote about him playing in holding midfield and scoring a goal yeah but you so is he a holding midfielder and holding? I, like no he's not 
I think for the context of this, we should look at at least the past six months because that is relevant players that are playing. And Snodgrass has been hurt for a large portion of that. But he's but, not a winger. He's, but I, he's playing for us. He's playing in the center midfield. Exactly. That's the, that's my point. Yeah. And then he Matt was. Smoku, I'd say. I'd say he's a winger. Well, see, we've been playing him in that left defensive role, though. Yeah, and I think I think wing back is his main role. I think right. He's wing back above all else winger and fullback after that but so yeah. going through that anderson pure winger bowen and yarmolenko pure wingers so three pure wingers the other five we have mix, either disagreements yeah. or reason maybe they we wouldn't be called so we have we now have three pure wingers at the club instead yeah. of the eight lanzini to me a number 10 uh for to me we've talked about this time uh, number time. 10 he yeah obviously played yeah. as a number 10 yeah. Snodgrass is not being played as a winger. He's been playing as a central midfielder. Masuaku really hasn't been deployed as a winger. And then the one we should probably talk about a lot, Antonio. Can you count? You can't count him as both a striker and a winger. Right. So well, if if you're Sullivan yeah. here and you say, "Oh, he's a winger," well, then that means we have one striker at the club. So that's right. Where do you want to count him? Do you want to count yep. him as a striker or do you want to count him as a winger? Exactly. And it's the same for the number 10 role is if you, yeah, if you double count players in all these different positions, then we have, we have plenty of coverage, but you can't, the whole yeah. point is you can't. Same for so, Matsuaku. If, yeah, if you, if you count yeah. him as a winger, then that means we have one left back at the club. Right. And I think that's where the, the double counting is where uh, this claim goes down the drain. <laughs> um, it, you have to, He's being really liberal with where he's counting these players, and yeah. he's counting them where it fits his current. Um, well, know. and he's he's double and triple counting players. Like, if you would have asked him how many midfielders we would right. have had, I can guarantee you he'd include Lanzini, Fornals, Snodgrass, yeah, yeah. all in that. And yeah. they can't play. You know, the, versatility is an attribute of a player, but when you're talking about squad depth. Mm-hmm. players can't play two positions at once. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> that was kind of a and, – and how many of these would you actually play over Diangana? I would argue you'd play Bowen over Diangana. You'd play Antonio over Diangana. Outside of that, I'd probably say for the se- – if you're talking about a season-long – strategy or not even including what he could be in future years, but even just this season, I'd probably start, I would have started him over Anderson, Lanzini, Yarmolenko, Snodgrass, Masiwaku. So. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think you can make a claim that he would be our below number three. And I would even argue he could have been number two. I think he could have been in Antonio's spot that you just mentioned, just because we would be playing Antonio Either maybe even in a number ten role, but but likely striker because we've played him at striker in ninety percent of the games. So I don't know how you can count him as a winger if we're going to play him at striker for the last six months or whatever it is. Yeah. So obviously that we we don't really agree with Sullivan on on the eight wingers as an excuse of lying selling Diangana. And then let's kind of let's move now to what we sold Diangana for, and that was the what what he said that the ability to bring in players. So here's a few different quotes. I'm going to read off a couple of them from David Sullivan. Quote, we've now got the funds to buy a player or two. Unfortunately, at the moment, the players the manager wants, we can't get. 
And then also, this is another quote, quote, I'm waiting for targets from the manager. We've got two or three bids in, and unfortunately the benchmark is very high and it's very hard to get these players. And then finally, quote, the manager will be spending 18 hours a day looking at tapes, trying to find players. So, so what is it? The, the fact that we can't get the players the manager wants or the manager hasn't given me the targets that he wants or he's constantly looking to, to get targets. Those three quotes don't really gel together. To me. They don't match up. And what's interesting is let's just talk about those first two real quick because, like, like I said, what's interesting is he's saying we've got money to spend, but then the, man, the players that the manager wants, we don't have money for. Well, what is that, messy? I mean, you know, yeah, maybe an $80 million player or whatever it is we don't have money for, but surely we have money for some of Moise's targets. If Moise, You're telling me that Moise has submitted a list of players that – I would say, I would say forty million and above. We do not have money for, and he doesn't have any players that are at five to say fifteen million. Yeah, that based on what David Sullivan, that seems to be the case. But that's not. We we know the players we've been linked to. We were and we haven't. Several of those players have been sold for much less. Like Eze, we were linked to Eze. Yep. He was sold for twenty million or less. We've been linked. We've been linked to all these players, and it, it just. Well, and what, what about the Dean Ghana sale? Because David Moyes wanted Dean Ghana to stay, and yet we still sold him. So if we truly do have the money to buy some players, why didn't – I don't understand why we didn't keep Dean Ghana well, in think, that case. I think what the <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I think what it was is that that was the only way the board – the board basically gave Moyes the option of either we sell Dean Ghana and you have money for transfers, or we keep them and you have none, which – problematic in and of itself and then going back to to not having targets so we've had months now since we we pretty much knew our league position and we were safe but we don't have targets now and i think part of that might be to blame the manager i mean part of part of the responsibility is on the manager but then i a lot of the you know if we're expecting the manager to 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 both train and coach the team and find himself, find every. There's a difference between the manager choosing the players that he wants versus the manager having to go out and scout all the players to find the one that he wants. The, to me, these quotes just point to how how much our lack of scouting network is hurting us. A, a healthy sports team, a healthy a healthy club, should have a robust scouting department that brings brings the targets to the manager and the manager can analyze the the scouting reports and decide who he wants, not having to go watch 18 hours of tape a day himself to find the players in the first place. What were you mentioning about Lester and that analogy? Okay. Yeah. So I off, off camera, yeah, a couple of days ago, I, I was talking to Chris and I'm going to butcher this, this analogy. Cause I can't remember, I can't remember the names of the people involved, but basically it was this, there were these two private equity fund managers from different, from different funds. So two, two, you know, kind of uh, rich people that, that basically their job is to buy companies working for different groups. So this, the first guy bids on, let's call you know, the play uh, manager, a bids on this, looks at, looks at this company, re- analyzes this company and bids on this company. Well, 
manager B comes in, doesn't look at the books and just bids on the company. And, and manager A goes to him and says, what are you doing? You haven't looked at the financials. Why are you bidding? That's ludicrous. And he said, you're the smartest manager in the world. You're the smartest money manager in the world. And if you're bidding on it, I know it's worth it. And so what basically that analogy was, why I used it is, if we have no scouting network, if we don't have the ability to look at players ourselves subjectively and, and find good targets, what we should do is we should look at the clubs that have fantastic scouting networks, seem to uncover gym after gym, and target the same players that they are. So the, 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 two, the two clubs that I'd say I'd want to maybe emulate the most of, of what's realistic. Obviously, we can't go after the same targets Man City goes after or Liverpool goes after. But we should target the same players that, that Leicester are targeting, the same players that Wolves are targeting. And those are the players we need to try and sign because time and time again, they've brought in players both from lower leagues and from abroad that have that have proven wonderful players in the Premier League and have gone on to either you know, in Leicester's case, win them the league. In Wolves' case, get them to Europa League multiple times. And often, if they're either, they either stay at the club and contribute or are later sold on for multiple times what they were bought for. So if we're not going – if like I think we should invest in a scouting network. I'll say that first of all. But whether we invest in a scouting network or not, we need to look to the teams that have good scouting networks and go after the same players that they are because they're doing – they're doing a ton of the work and we know they're going to be good players. So we should go after them. Yeah. I think we need to use the resources around us and, and be smart. And here's something interesting. So Mikel Arteta, just before our game, his game with West Ham, uh, he was named and, and possibly just before the season, he was named as the manager, not, not really over, um, not just the coach of the team, but the overall manager of the club. So the the GM, the general manager, and that gave him power. That gave him a ton of power in the club. That didn't just mean, oh, you're just the coach. That gave him power over the scouting network. That gave him power over everyone he brings in. The that gave him power in a lot of different areas of the club. That is too much to cover here. So, whereas it looks like at our club, Moyes has a little part of that but Moyes is not Arteta, right? So there's a big difference between that. And I think if you, like you're mentioning this, the lack of scouting network, the, Moyes doesn't necessarily have the same structure around him that, Ars, that Arsenal's manager Arteta does. So you can't expect Moyes to come up with a million transfers to coach, to do all these different things, and then, you know, and submit this list of, of people to Sullivan yeah, it's a, it's a lot to ask of one person. And I'll this might be a little bit of roundabout. So in, in the U.S., most sports teams have a coach which, which manages the players and decides the game time decisions and manages the game. And they have what's called a general manager, which is basically in, it's his job is to build the roster, to build the squad, to, to trade and buy players. Whereas I know in, in, in European soccer, you have some, some setups where you have a director of football and a manager separately, but a lot of times it's together. I don't think we always recognize how the director of football and the manager require very different skill sets. You can be really good at one and not good at the other. There are, very, there are a few people that can be really good at both. 
and now this is this is a little bit of an exaggerated analogy, but Chris, you're you're a pilot. Is would you so you you can be great at flying a plane, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be good at designing a plane, right? And, right. It's completely different. And if you're set. great at designing a plane, you you might not be good at flying a plane. There there right. are two there. It takes both of those roles to have a successful flight. Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't automatically expect the same person to be able to do both those tasks. And now, obviously, designing a plane is very different than you know building a squad of football players. I, I'm not. That's just an exaggeration of. But we need to realize that only a few people in the world can perform both those duties well. Right. And, and recognize maybe, I don't think Moise is the person that's supposed to be doing both of those. Right. You know, I, maybe, maybe he wants to do, be doing that, but, but you need to support. If, if you want the, the football team to do the best that they can, you need to have the right people in the right roles. And I don't think Moise is the right person to be in both of those roles. No, and let's look at something that uh, a former manager, Sam Allardyce, said. He, he, he mentioned that David Sullivan and David Gold bully managers into signing players. So, but then there was just a quote, an interview, actually, that uh, David Sullivan did this past week, literally three days ago, where he mentioned that he was, going, that he was waiting for Moyes to give him targets. And the, the targets that Moyes wanted were outside of the club's uh, financial abilities right now. He also mentioned some things about Pellegrini, which I'll let you explore in a second. And he mentioned that in the same quote, he literally said, we try to let the manager choose what, what uh, players we want. But then later in the sentence, he said, but there were some players that we, that we as owners chose and forced the manager to buy. What do you have on that? Yeah. And I will say just a, one quick last comment on the last topic we did even if David Moyes isn't the man to be both the manager and the director of football, David Sullivan has proved he is, he himself is not the person to be the director of football. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so back to that. Yeah. So I, Sam Allardyce, you can, I personally thought he was decent as West Ham manager. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's easier to look back several years with on someone with favorability. Um, but he was definitely, at the end disliked by some West Ham fans, but definitely disliked by the board. Uh, so you could say maybe there's, maybe what he's saying is, is flavored uh, by his, his view or, or, you know, his, his anger towards the board. But I think when, when you literally have this quote come out that, that copies what he said from David Sullivan's own mouth. So uh, this is, this is the exact quote from David Sullivan under the previous regime regime, the two players I picked were Diop and Fabianski. I bullied the manager to take them because I liked both players. So they're like, that's he saying he bullied them. And now I don't believe David Moyes or sorry, David Sullivan actually picked those two players. I think what he's doing is, and I'll, I'll have a few more quotes that we talk about this is when transition to the manager talk, he's trying to push the blame of why of the poor situation of the club now onto the, onto Pellegrini, onto the prior manager. But what he's trying to do is like, well, I backed the prior manager. He did awful, except for the two players that have been pretty decent. Because those were up to me. Which I don't believe, you can't have it both ways. Like, he's proven time and time again before. I think 
I think it was Haxabanovich, uh, the, the player that Sam Allardyce had no idea of and just one day showed up at the training pitch having been signed. Like he didn't even know the player's name. Like, uh, and I know he, he didn't even know that we'd signed a player and, it, and he just shows up. And so we have the history of David Sullivan being kind of a loose cannon and, and making signings that the manager doesn't want. And so can we really believe him now when he says he's backing the manager? So a couple other quotes of maybe why he's trying to blame the current situation on, on Pellegrini is, uh, quote, all the other players, him and his director of football, speaking of uh, Husilius, picked, and I regret in a way, not stopping some of the signings because you have to back the manager. And then, you know, he says that, but then just prior, he said he bullied the manager into buying players. And then these two last quotes, quote, I left it to the previous regime for two years and they didn't buy well. And then the last one, quote, we have now gone back to grassroots, a British manager. He is picking his players. The final decision is the manager, end quote. So you have all these, you have all these quotes of simultaneously trying to absolve David Sullivan of any fault in the prior regime and even setting it up to absolve him of any fault of the current regime saying it's oh i i backed the last guy he signed the bad players except for the two players that were signed that were good those are me and then oh this you know we put in the grassroots british manager he's picking his players it's his decision and then but then yet he he's we're not backing him because we haven't signed anyone he's wanted so it, it to me it's really it's those don't jive together they, they don't mesh and so I we've got gained some statistics and and I'll give you your chance to talk before we go into them of, of kind of comparing Pellegrini and Moises era so Chris any, anything you got to say about these quotes and maybe to me they just don't feel genuine yeah to me this is where reputation comes in so if you had a manager that or excuse me owners and the board that had been truthful with the club and that have maybe widely supported by the fans, or even it's just been a bad run of luck, but, but the board is still being open with the club. I think you would have a lot more support and maybe he just had a bad interview. Let's say, I don't know. Uh, this is actually well, a series. He's of never had good interviews. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but my whole point is like, look at the reputation. So look at the, the promises moving to the London stadium, look at the Europe promises competing for Europe. I mean, and, and I could, I mean, I could go on just for sake of time. I'm going to stop there, but there've been many promises that have been unfulfilled. And, and we mentioned in our financial episode that literally going as he was saying those, he knew they would be unfulfilled. He knew that that was impossible uh, specifically talking about the revenue gain from the London stadium. So, now he comes out with these eight quotes or whatever we just mentioned, and you, you see a ton of contradictions in them. And you sit there and you're like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Like maybe he was talking about different parts here and there, but then you look at the reputation and you say, well, geez, this is, this is a trend. And, and really all it is is David Sullivan being David Sullivan. Yeah. He's so done, time and time again, it. he's shown who he is. And that's someone that doesn't really – have it in him to, to, to take this club to the next level. Right. I mean, I, the, right. what, what has he done that's shown that? So we, we tried, basically we tried one time, it didn't work. 
And so now we're, we're getting the cheap option of Moyes. And now back to grassroots, a British manager, what he says, picking his players. He hasn't been able to pick any players because we haven't given him any money to spend. Uh, well, and you say back to grassroots. You have some stats on how Moyes did uh, – the first time is that right yeah so we're going to go through kind of looking at Pellegrini and Moise's stats and, and we had in our end of season review last year we kind of compared the just that season versus Moise and Pellegrini and basically showed there was only one point difference in their performances there was a little bit more as far as goals um goal differential but there was only one point difference in their per game you know one point difference overall and they managed the same number of games uh, and then we kind of looked at the difference between Fabianski and Roberto, and that's really where we saw the difference in points. Uh, in the games Fabianski played last year, we got 1.24 points per game, whereas Roberto, we got a quarter of a point per game. So just over a, a point difference per game. Uh, and so I wanted to look at, okay, so Moyes has been the manager for two different times. Overall, 63 games. Pellegrini was the manager for 83 games. So just kind of looking at overall and, and through some different specific breaks, uh, how they performed. And so you and I were having a discussion earlier this week where I was saying maybe we shouldn't be so harsh on Pellegrini. And this is before I looked at this, before either of us looked at the stats. And, and you're like, well, you know, he wasn't changing anything. Moyes has been okay so far. And yeah, Moyes has been okay. Um, and I will agree, Pellegrini did make a big mistake, not switching from Roberto before he did. Uh, but so overall, Pellegrini managed 83 games, 24 wins, 11 draws, 29 losses. So that comes up to uh, 1.3 points per game. Moyes overall, through his two stints at the club, 63 games, 16 wins, 15 draws, 24 losses. So that comes up to 1.15 points a game. So a 0.15 difference per game, which is actually, you know, pretty significant compared to um, each other. So I'm calculating it right now. Pellegrini earned 13% more points per game over his entire time. But something else gets different. So, and and between Moyes, Moyes has done better in his first stint than his second stint. Moyes got 1.19 points per game his first time around as manager, only getting 1.08 this time. So pretty, you know, especially comparing that to Pellegrini's 1.3 overall, that's not looking as good. But then, now if we think about Pellegrini's time, there's basically, he he was manager for, basically what the Roberto, the non-Roberto era and the Roberto era. Mm-hmm. So the games with Roberto, we already talked about, we averaged 0.25 points a game, zero wins, two draws, six losses. Terrible. Yes. So when you take the Roberto games out of Pellegrini's record, so this is the, this is the Pellegrini record without Roberto, 24 wins, nine draws, 23 losses. So more wins than losses, not something we've seen in a long time. That's good for 1.45 points per game. So so just taking out the Roberto games moves Pellegrini's point total from 1.3 points a game to 1.45 points a game. And let's compare it. So Moyes hasn't played Roberto 
So if you compare it to, to Moyes' overall, that's 26% more points per game than what Moyes has overall. That's pretty significant. That is. Um, another credit I want to give to Pellegrini, too, is his signings because he brought in – well, he did bring in Roberto, but he also brought in Hilaire. And even though Hilaire hasn't performed great, I think – I think that was a good signing, and I think he's going to come in form. Now, he may not, and that could be end up in the history of the club looking back 20, you know, hindsight's 2020. Maybe that was a terrible signing, but I still think it was a good signing. I think we just need to work more around what Hilaire's doing. But, but Chris, one thing, I, the biggest problem I have with, with Pellegrini is it's the job of the manager not only to get points in easy games and get points when things are going well, but to also get points when things are not going well and to change things up. And I've seen from Moyes, I've seen a formation change. We just saw it from Newcastle to Arsenal. I saw the players change. I don't know why he's not playing Hilaire. There's things I disagree with that Moyes is doing, specifically subbing in the 89th minute. But I don't, from Pellegrini, I saw late subs as well. I saw zero change in formation, almost zero change in players. He played, he loved, um, he loved playing like, say Lanzini and Anderson who were arguably awful. I mean, they were not, it's not even arguably Roberto, same thing, just did not see any change. And yet we play. So I I think at the very end, he didn't change. I think there were throughout the two seasons he managed, there were some changes, I think, but at the last eight games when he didn't change away from Roberto, that was big that was the yeah killer. but so i, so, but I think it's fact, a good Moyes point doesn't that, change very much either well he, he changed started, form, he changed an entire formation this is literally the last game that he did but he we literally saw the exact same lineup played in the first game as we did at the end of last year like he, yeah yeah but why change so I, a winning what, team? I'm, what i'm trying to say is like he doesn't that's very recent to say, well, Moyes is changing the team. He's changed the team once. Well, he ch- also changed it from restart. We lost the game uh, against, what was it, Man City? forget if it was Man City or whoever we played first, Wolves maybe. And then we went into Chelsea and won, you know, so. Yeah, but he's only, if we look at, he's only earned 1.08 points a game in his second stint since, since he took over last year. Yeah. And like, that's, not good at all. Yeah, I mean, it's that, not acceptable. That's less than Pellegrini did, even when you're including the Roberto statistics. So what basically what I'm trying to say is, like, I don't think Pellegrini was as bad as what, especially as bad as what a lot of West Ham fans say, or definitely not as bad as what Sullivan has said. I mean, we haven't, you know, he's he's gotten... 13% more points per game than Moyes overall. And if we were, we're just looking at Roberto or without Roberto, he's gotten 26% more than Moyes overall. And just comparing to Moyes last year, 34% more points per game. And, and so, yes, he was backed. He had more money. And so was able to bring in players, but, but Moyes still also has those players as well. He does. And we talked about it in the transfer episode. Under Pellegrini, we would would not have stayed up, I don't believe. Whereas under Moyes, we did. I don't see, but then again, when we talked about it, Pellegrini and Moyes, there was only one point difference between their the same number. Talking last season, yeah, 
same number of games played, one point difference. So I don't necessarily know if you can say, like I w- if Pellegrini would have continued to start Roberto every single week, yeah, probably not. But we were, if I'm not mistaken, we were already looking to get the goalkeeper in, 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 in Randolph before that was done. I mean, we got him in within like the first day or two of the transfer window opening. Would we have brought in Bowen and Suchek though in January? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We yeah. would have still had the money to spend on someone. I, I don't know if it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's an interesting discussion, but, but the main point I think that we're both trying to go for is, is David Sullivan is blaming a lot of the cl- current, the club's current situation on Pellegrini and the stats don't back that up. The really anywhere you look does not back that up. Yeah. Um, Pellegrini, I, in my opinion, it was the right move to uh, get rid of him, but you cannot pin everything that's happening at the club on Pellegrini. Yeah. What, what do you think? I, I think I, at the time he was fired, I think it was a justified firing. All I'm trying to say is the statistics show we haven't improved. In fact, we've, Gone, we've done worse since we replaced mm-hmm. the manager. Uh, I, I tell you what, that's interesting because my personal views, without no, having any scientific knowledge behind it, when I look at the play, I am more excited going into a West Ham or look, you know, watching a West Ham game with Moyes than I was under Pellegrini, and that's just personal I, views. I, I, so I, I, it's I, interesting I, that the stats don't back that up, really. The thing is, are you only thinking about that through? The, you, I'm worried that we're, we think that because of recency bias and the most recent Pellegrini games being Roberto. Yeah. So are, are, are you are you more excited to watch a David Moyes side than a Pellegrini side? Or are you just more excited to watch a West Ham team without Roberto? Yeah. West Ham team well, with Roberto? And that's a decent point because I, I was not really a West Ham fan when Pellegrini had his first season. So I only saw the sharp decline, right? Yeah, so but that's even, a good point. Even the first part of that season, where yeah. we were in the European spots until yeah. Fabianski got injured. Yeah. So, uh, and it's, I'm not saying Pellegrini's definitely not blameless for either his firing or the performance leading up to it. He should have not continued to play Roberto. I'm just saying, I don't think we're not in a better place as a club than we were before. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and that's the thing is with the board is, hey, let's call it how we see it. When Sullivan is, is, is claiming kind of really those outrageous things uh, and you're sitting there and you're saying, well, hold on, like, look at the, look at the stats and look at what's happening. And it's not, what he is saying is not the case. Yeah. And, and that's frustrating. And one thing I will say, Pellegrini wasn't as scared to start youth talent as Moyes was. I mean, Dean Ghana kind of got his, got more of a run in the team before Moyes came. And, and, you know, we eventually see him being sold for that. And it's uh, just like little things like that. I'm definitely not, I don't think that the end of the Pellegrini era was great, but I think when we look at the whole Pellegrini era, we're really doing it a disservice if we're only thinking of it in the, in the Roberto era versus overall what he's done. So overall that that's, we, we going through kind of uh, David Sullivan's comments, trying to give you some kind of what our opinion are, especially I thought, I thought going through the, eight, what, what we thought he assumed the eight wingers were and if they really were wingers was, was pretty fun. 
uh, and hopefully we can get a couple more signings. I know that the international window closes the end of this week and we have a, about a week longer before the, the domestic window shuts. So hopefully we can get some players in before then. Chris, I got a, a quick question for you. Looking at the current team we have and exactly each position, what areas of need, you know, we, we talked about it on a transfer special, exactly what areas of need we have, but what positions going into the season can we say we, we've got to absolutely 100% sign someone? Because and, and to me, it's left back, and I would argue center back, but I think the one position, the number one position is left back. I think we can do without an, a second striker. It would hurt, but we could. I agree. I think the biggest position by far is left back, and I think that's true even if we – even if we go to a five at the back full time, it's still I would like to see competition right. for basketball. Because if we're playing a five at the back, you don't want Cresswell as that wing back. He's not fast enough going forward. So you really only have Masuaku there. Masuaku has great skill and I'm excited to see him start again. But we've seen him before and he really hasn't done a lot to lock down a solid starting position. So left back number one, I think we really need a center back whether we play a four or five at the back as well you know we, we talked about Diop not being up to his usual form not be like really being a weakness on that back line um and whether he you know whether we need to just replace him from the starting lineup full stop or if it's someone that we were confident in starting but also to push him push Diop to be better I think that's a crucial signing uh after that I'd say either another striker or a right back. It would be our next next biggest need. Um, that's it. And then, Chris, we haven't talked about it. We should probably mention it. I'm worried. I think Rice is going to go this window. I really – I don't think he is. I really don't think he is. I, Chelsea – so just in case uh, some of the fans haven't heard – Chelsea right now has not submitted a formal bid. There's no personal terms agreed to based on sources. This, um, despite, close to the club. despite tabloid rumors. Despite I'm going to trust, trust someone like X over tabloids. Right. Right. Mean, right. Yeah. But, but the thing is, so there've been rumors like this the whole time about, Oh, rice is going for sure. Rice is going for sure. We're selling it for 80 million. Works. When, until I see a formal bid, first of all, a formal bid has to be offered. Second, it has to be accepted. And then personal terms have to be agreed to, which the likely personal terms would be agreed to because Declan is a Chelsea fan. But Okay, so the, those three things you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So the a bid having to be made, bid being accepted, personal, personal terms, terms agreed. Mm-hmm. Let's go through. So X has said he believes – and he, he not only knows West Ham, he has sources inside Chelsea too. Right. He believes a bid will come. Okay. So the bid will likely happen. Mm-hmm. As far as the bid being accepted, I have no trust in, in David Sullivan to not accept a bid, especially if it's going to be 60 million plus. And, I, and let I me give you, let me give you the reason that Dean got a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, someone had a really great, I can't, sorry, I can't give credit because I don't recall who it was. Someone had a really great tweet that was like, are the fans not being at the, being allowed to go to games make it more likely that Rice is going to leave? And I, I think that's true because basically from the, and the, the person that said that was speaking from the instance of the board know they can't get stick in person because none of the fans can go. So, and so that kind of governing presence of the fans is not there as much now that they're not at the game. 
So I so bid likely to happen. I think it's from experience we can show bids probably going to be accepted, and if a bid's accepted, rice is going. They're going to offer him more money than what we have him on now, significantly more money, and he's a Chelsea fan, which you know that's just what he is. We all grew up with the sports teams we liked as a kid. That's one for him. All three of the things that require the transfer to happen, I can easily see happening. So I don't. That's why I'm really starting to worry. Well, here's what's interesting: is the uh, out of the whole transfer window, what is the one, the one single thing you can do to make West Ham fans more mad? And it's sell, sell rice. rice. Yeah. Well, oh, a hundred percent. Sell rice and not bring anyone in. After. It, yeah. Oh, and and we we won't bring anyone in after. There's well, just no we, way. We'll make we'll make like one overpriced signing at the very end. Maybe. And that if we're lucky. If we're and that's if we're lucky. But the problem is like say we just from, from think of a, a third team. So we sell rice to Chelsea. We make a bid for a player to fill him in. The club that we're trying to fill him in for knows we ju- we need that position desperately because we sold him and we got a pile of cash. They're gonna demand a king's ransom. Whereas a smart team would have known a Chelsea bid's coming, as we've known for two seasons, planned, signed someone last year to be the future replacement for both for him or, or and Noble, and and bought a young player that can develop in the West Ham system for a cheap fee, you know, cheap relative well, to what it costs now. Here's the problem we did in Suchek. Oh, but you Suchek. You can't say Suchek can replace both Noble, even with Noble and Rice. We were weak in center midfield. With both of them playing, we were yep. weak. We signed Suchek to finally make center midfield more solidified. So, and I know what you're saying, but I'm saying this goes back to the same logic David Sullivan had when he no, said, "That's my point. This is what David Sullivan's going to yeah. say. Is that it's he's double counting? Yeah, you can't." Suchet can't be to replace the, you know, to to solidify the midfield that was already weak, right? And cover for when the two midfielders we had are no longer at the club, either through retirement or or, or selling. Them. So if if that's and I I can promise you that's what David Sullivan's going to say, but you can't play with a midfield one, like no, you you can't. But Suchek would replace Rice. He would replace Noble, so that's two. Plus, he would fill the hole that we already had in the midfield. So you're literally triple counting him. Yeah, and. It's just not possible. And, and and then when we don't sign anyone, um, we've got, what do you bring in? Youth? Youth is, I mean, great. They're playing well, but like, you can't just throw them into the, with the games we have coming up. Leicester, Wolves, or, I mean, you've got, or, you know, we're going to play Liverpool and Man City. Like, it's ridiculous. You don't just throw good teams. Good teams give youth the path to succeed without having to rely on them for success. We time and time again, don't give youth the opportunity to succeed. And then we get in a bad spot and then we're forced to rely on them for success. It's, we do the worst of both of those. We, we don't, we will play them in a cup game and then we'll never start them in the league when we're, you know, but then we have all these injuries and we're forced to play them all. Like the whole, the whole game, for example, 
we were forced to start all those youth players because unfortunate, you know, we haven't even talked about it, the testing positive for Diop and Colin. But then we, we just, our squad depth was so weak, we had to start under 23 players. And it turned out good that time. But when we're facing Man City in a week or two, if something like that happens and we had to start yeah. Ashby and Longello and Elise, you don't want to, you don't want to have to rely on them to sink, for your club to sink or swim. You want to be able to, to slowly bring them along, give them a path to the first team, which we didn't give Diangana. You, so you want to give them a path to succeed, to become the, become a rice-like player that becomes hundred times the value that he was before we started versus having to rely on them to succeed. You put Baptiste against a Sala and Aguero. I mean, we've got Jimenez coming up. Like, good luck. You know, I mean, Bapt- hey, I hope Baptiste does well, but uh, that's just, you don't throw a 16-year-old into that. Yeah, and, and we've, I mean, we've gotten lucky so far that yeah. so a player like Rice has become who he was when we relied on him. Ben Johnson and Ngakia played decently well when we relied on them. But you need to give players the opportunity to become first-team regulars without simultaneously relying on them in their first or second start to keep you afloat. Like, that's bad management. That's bad – I mean, that's bad club club management. And, yeah, I, I'm worried he's going to leave – if he does leave, I'm worried it's going to be so late in the window that we're either going to get no one or get a subpar replacement for three times his value. Yeah. Um, well, so late in the window. I mean, we have like what a week left. Yeah. And, and, so and it's the already is like, even if we had time to sign a player, if we, if we're only looking for replacements after we've sold him, the other club has all the bargaining power. Mm-hmm. And no, it's, it's ridiculous, but do you have any closing thoughts, Chris, or are you ready to? Uh, I just want to say that, and it's been a, it's been a tough time. I'm I'm excited about the, the Arsenal game and the two cup games on either side of it have given me a little more hope. I just we have we have good players at this club. I don't think we have enough good players. I think we're still short in a couple positions on squad depth and starting talent. But I just really hope Moyes wakes up and starts certain players that need to, that have really by every measure should have forced their way into the team. And uh, you know what, next segment we'll talk about who those players are and who we think should start. Welcome back to our final section of Green Eggs and West Ham. Now we've got to look at ahead at the Wolves game, which is at 1 p.m. Uh, tomorrow, but it's an evening game in London. This is a tough game coming up. I, we'll get to our predictions in a little bit, but Chris, who, who are we watching out for? How do we play this team? And what do you think uh, is important for the manager to tell the team going into the game? So this this team is really they are where I really wish West Ham were and that is building a solid team that gets them either into Europe or fighting for Europe every year. Um they they've had really, you know, a pretty good rise since they since they got promoted. Uh they they won their first game of the season against Sheffield 
they lost to Stoke in the Cup, uh, and then they they lost to City most recently. So, you know, they're on a on a short losing streak, but but still a dangerous team. The the two players I'd ta- I'd watch out for. So last year when we talked about them, I, we 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 highlighted Traore, and man, he he really came to his own near the end of last year. Just such a fast player, a tricky dribbler. He's like Antonio. Yeah, in Antonio, but like faster. Yeah. And honestly, he's still one to watch out for. If we play a four back, he's going to eat us alive. Now, now Wolves typically play uh, a lot of times play like a five back. So it would be interesting to see us match up again uh, with that five back, just like we did against Arsenal. Uh, I think Masuaku and Crestwell together would do a much better job at neutralizing him. The other player I'd be really worried about, uh, one Chris, a player, Chris, I know you hate, uh, especially when he plays against the U.S. men's national team, and that's Raul Jimenez. Maybe the best striker outside the top six. Well, maybe, maybe probably Jamie Vardy. I'd say Jamie Vardy. But you could say but arguably. Arguably. Yeah. I mean, he's really good striker. He good poacher, good finisher, kind of offers, offers a lot. Not, you know, he's big enough to be a target man, but also, you know, he's not slow by any means, just a, a good all around forward. And especially with the way some of our center backs have been playing, I'm a little worried about him. Well, here's why I'm frustrated about playing him in as every single time, because whether we, he plays West Ham or whether he plays the U S men's national team, he scores every time. And it's incredibly annoying because you can't get away from him. Um, he's, I, I want to compare him to like a Wilson for, uh, for Newcastle where he comes in and like, I mean, Wilson just has our number every time, you know, and, and I feel like Jimenez is the same way. Um, Triori can go and carve up our defense like he's done in the past. And then Jimenez is almost is pretty much always in the right position, if not carving them up along with Triori. So it's interesting to say, how do you stop those players? Because, with the talent, we've got Obana. We've got some decent defensive talent, again, in Rice and Suchik as well. Diop has shown potential. You know, we still are kind of stuck with Cresswell and Masuaku. So I think you've got to play that pretty much the five back, the three central mid, uh, defenders, and then the wingers to come uh, – sorry, the fullbacks to come back and help because you, you basically have to put numbers on them. That's the only way I see us countering them. I agree. I totally agree. I think that the only way we can, we can understand kind of their their combination of, of skill and speed is is to play that five back. I think uh, you 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 need to be able to absorb that pressure, but also have have fast players um, both to defend them and to counterattack. Uh, so I would go with the five back. I don't know if I'd go with a kind of a, a five, two, three, like we did last game or more like a, a, a two striker formation with like a five, five, three, two. Um, That's we'll what I was wondering. Up. How do you attack them? And I would probably go, I think I would go with the two striker formation here, honestly. Yeah. I, I would, I think I'd go with the same players in either, either. Well, you know, I, I actually think I'd, I'd switch. I would go. Do we want to go through our teams now? Yeah. Yeah, let's do okay, it. So, so the back five, I'd go Masuako on the left. I'd go Cresswell, Ogbana, and I'd, I'd give Elise the start over over Diop. And then 
Frederick's played well the last couple games. I'd, I'd start him at fullback. I, I would go the same thing, except with Chris, who I'd put a little star and say only because we have no other option. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I could, I'm tempted to give at least this start. I think Diop's not in form and we've got to get him in form. But I, and if Diop was in form, then I would uh, probably start at least over Cresswell. But right now, I think you've got to rely on Cresswell. The Cresswell gets carved up, though, by Triori every single maybe, time. Maybe Balbuena in there. I, I'm not. He, I, I could do a Balbuena at least. The left side. Yeah. Well, no, I'd probably keep Igbana as the center one because he's, he's got to But he's left anyways. Though, and Moyes likes to play the <sighs> outside. Yeah. yeah, I'd probably go with Elise, Balbuena, and because right now Diab is just not in form. And he gave up. Yeah. He was responsible, directly responsible for two of the goals. Um, all yeah. right. So then moving into were... midfield, probably go, yeah, the Rice Suchek. You cannot, I mean, you can't not start. Yeah, them. both of us. Um, Rice Suchek, yeah. no problem. And, and oh. I'm tempted. Oh, I. Would you go for Nals in the number ten, or do you go Yarm? I, I, I might I go would, Yarm. He's Yarmolenko just just killed it this past game. My three attacking players, and this is where I'm not really sure if I do two strikers versus kind of a two strikers in a number ten, or just kind of a a front three. My my three would be, and this could this might be controversial. I'd sit Antonio. I'd start Hilaire, Yarmolenko, and Bowen. The way you the way you set them up can be, I'd say, fluid. You can either say, "Oh well," like Yarmolenko and and Hilaire strikers, and Bowen is number ten, or you put kind of Yarmolenko on the right, Bowen on the left, and Hilaire in the middle. Either way, I think you need them to be able to move to different parts of the pitch. Um, but I'd do that, and then I'd bring on Antonio as a, as a fresh sub and at halftime or so. See that movement is to me what's going to be key and. I would probably start the way we did against Arsenal with a little bit of change. So I would have Antonio and Bowen on the wings. Uh, I'd put, I think, Yarmolenko in that number 10 spot, and then I'd put Hilaire as the sole striker up well, top. That's, that's one too many players, though. If we have – well, well, it depends if I, – I guess what I'm going back forth is if you put Yarmolenko in number 10 or not. Okay. It, because – Well, you, you can't start – no, I think you could do. I think you could do a Antonio, a Bowen, and a Hilaire, uh-huh. or you could do an Antonio. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, and and so that's why I'm kind of going back and forth. But Yarmolenko played so well, but I I want to put Hilaire. Goals. So he had two goals. Two I know. Goals. Like you. I know. We talk about you know Hilaire playing his way into the team, which I think he definitely does. Yeah. So did Yarmolenko, and I think your like yeah. the common factor is that both of them played so well because they were able to play well with the other. Together, so that's why yeah. both of them have to get into me. The, the, then you go, well, what's the last one? Is it going to be a Bowen or is it going to be right. an Antonio? I think both have, you know, you, you have, there's good arguments for both. Yeah. And what I kind of like about that attacking is because we've got so many players, quote unquote, in form with attack, like you mentioned, we can sub early. So, um, Anderson and Lanzini, honestly, I've seen play well, and I think they would be. I would be happy if they came on the field. Uh, I want to sub them in, maybe at the 60th or 70th minute. I, I think, like you mentioned, whether Antonio, Yarmolenko, Hilaire, whoever is sitting on the bench, again, that player is doing pretty well. So bring him on, and I, I do like that Antonio on the bench. Uh, bring him on the 60th minute as a fresh, yeah. fresh legs, but. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think you have to start Hilaire and you've got to start Yarmolenko because they've done well. Antonio's done okay. He's he's done fine. Yeah. Nothing against him, but um, well, when, and if anything, Hilaire Hilaire's done really well, but one thing he has shown is that 
he needs to be able to build into a game. And I think that's true. I mean, that's true of a lot of players. Like they need to build into a game. So if you need to, that's why I would start him instead of Antonio, because I think Hilaire's best when he's has time to build into the game is started. And I think Antonio has been good, but I think what he offers off the bench is something so different as well. So I think both of them combined, that's the best effect. Um, but overall, I don't necessarily trust Moyes to start both Hilaire or Yarmolenko. But if you don't, I, like, just the way the way he's been picking the team, what else? Like, well, so here's another another option. And and actually, I mean, I just, I mean, I know I'm kind of bouncing around, but if you oh, did wait, Antonio, we, one thing we didn't mention, so Diop's actually not going to be available. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I definitely go Babuena and. But I need to fill that 100%. Maybe Elise over uh, Cresswell. Cresswell, yeah. But but what about this attacking option? Don't let me know what you think about this. Antonio on the left, Yarmolenko on the right, and then uh, and then Hilaire up top, and then th- you bring Bowen good. on. As I think that could be good. I definitely think out of those out of the front three, for me, Hilaire and Antonio. Sorry, Hilaire and Yarmolenko have to be the two of them. Yeah, and then I think you can make a really strong argument for either Bowen or Antonio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's what you go with. And I think the way with with the the other one of those two being one of the first subs um, on the field. Yeah, and I don't think it's that Bowen has lost his starting spot. If let's just say, or say Antonio too, I don't think it's necessarily they've lost their starting spot. But I think it's it speaks it, it is a good thing for our team that we have a player that deserves a start and they're sitting on the bench. Yeah. And a lot of it, I think a lot of the question of if we start Bowen or not is it's, it's because him and Yarmolenko are almost exclusively played on the right wing mm-hmm. just because they're both left footed. I think Bowen has more skill to be played on the left side because he's a little more two sided than whereas Yarmolenko is completely one, one footed, uh, yeah, but I still think – I mean, I think Bowen's one of our best 11 players. I just think formationally you can't – it's tough to fit him and Yarmolenko in the same team at the moment unless you convert one of them to a different position. Yeah, like a number 10. Yeah. Um, well, Chris, let's get to your prediction. So <laughs> I'm really hoping for positive news here, but tell me what you think. What's I mean, going to be the score? We've lost both our league – If I, there's there's – you can really look at it either way. You can say we've lost both our league games. Two of our players and our manager are, are out with coronavirus. Uh, negativity is massive at the club. We haven't signed anyone. And then looking at the other side, Wolves have been doing great. You know, they've been they've in the last couple of seasons. They're they just signed a player from Barcelona on Semendo. They signed. A young, like a seventeen-year-old striker for forty million from Porto, like they're on an upward trajectory. So if you look at it from that case, it looks pretty dire. But then again, we just go through these players. The two cup performances we've had have been incredible. We played well against Arsenal. Really should have taken some points from there. So, yeah, man, it's tough to say. I think. Optimistically, I'm going to say we get a 2-1 win, but I think it's more likely to get a 2-2 draw. I, I think it's going to be a 3-1 loss. I, I think 
Triore always destroys us. Jimenez is destroys us, whether it's West Ham or whether it's used in his national team. I mean, he's, he's going to get a goal. And so that's at least two goals. I think we have the potential to score if we play that Hilaire, Yarmolenko, uh, Antonio link up and, and throw bone in there. Maybe um, I, I think we, and Suchek's with his headers have been incredible. He's hit the post last time. Yeah. So we do have the potential to score and, and catch him on the counterattack. We've looked decent offensively against them in the past, but um, I'm really worried about their attack. And I would like to see Suchek stay a little bit more probably defensively just to make sure that we're covered. Yeah, that's I think probably, it's going to be that's what I would do. tough, especially in that five back where you, you kind of need those two midfielders roaming around so much. Yeah. That, yeah, there, there might not be as many opportunities as normal for him to get forward, but that's okay if he's providing that defensive solidity. So probably the thing I'm most good. excited for the game is to see how Moyes manages from, because he can't be there. I don't think, I mean, I, it's, I, I hope he feels better. Like nothing. No, yeah. Yeah. I hope he feels better. I really wish he wasn't the one managing just cause I don't see, I don't think his in game management's very good. And I don't think it's going to be improved by trying to do it through video conferencing <laughs> or whatever form of system they're going to have. Yeah, I just I can't wait to see the little TV and the coaches stand, you know, for him yeah. yelling at his players. Well, he'll be he'll. Be, I think he has to do it from home. Like he'll be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean just like his face on a? Yeah, they need, they need to have him on a little cart and roll yeah. <laughs> roll him up to the sideline. Turn the volume all the way up so the players can hear him. Yeah. <laughs> Have the uh, who whatever youngster makes the bench be the one that has to like cart him around, yeah. little little Love rookie hazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, that just about does it for our game preview. Game like we mentioned is tomorrow. Best of luck to West Ham. Uh, we hope we can pull something out. We really need these points because the fixtures for us don't look great coming up. Hopefully, we get some more transfer news. Chris, any closing thoughts? I just want to say that, and I know we, we, we mentioned it just briefly, but yeah, really our thoughts are going out to you know, Diop and, and Cohen and, and Moyes. Hopefully they're doing well and that, but that they, can, they can isolate safely and that their families are, families are good. Um, and besides that, yeah, just excited to get some, get some West Ham football tomorrow. Hopefully we can pick up some points to, to, to move forward. I know it's a tough stretch of games coming up, but they're – if the cup performances have shown anything, it's, it's, there is, there can be exciting times to be a West Ham fan or, you know, can be exciting moments. So hopefully tomorrow's one of them. Come on, you irons. Come on, you irons. <laughs>